A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Samantha Halep's good, isn't she? Blimey. 6-2, 6-2, less than an hour against one, arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. Have I read that correctly? You have, David. A profoundly, profoundly shocking match, I found it. I, the, the speed with which it went by and just the way it played out. Of, of all the possible scores today, Serena in two or three, Halep in two or three, this was the one I had as least likely. It was, yeah, really quite shocking. And at the time, I was quite speechless. Are we, are we naive, Catherine, to, to believe that? Because if you, if you think back to... The, the win over Alina Svitolina Halep was fantastic then um, she's she's just sort of grown Seren- into the tournament Serena was fantastic in, against Stritzova mm. um, I, and I don't think none of us were underestimating Halep I don't think that was I mean look she she played what she called herself the best match of her life today Courtney Nguyen who we had on the podcast yesterday said that's the best she's ever seen Halep play which as you pointed out David means that is the best that Halep <laughs> has yes. ever played so I, I don't think we're guilty of having underestimated Halep I really don't I just <laughs> think that it's possible we overestimated Serena or certainly overestimated the sort of undefinable quality of Serena that you just somehow feel oh but it's Serena you know overestimated the oh but it's Serena factor which has has in the past defied logic and today it didn't defy logic there was there was no defying how brilliantly Simona Hallett played it was breathtaking three unforced errors I know it was only 56 minutes but three unforced errors yeah it's the, the fewest ever in a Grand Slam final. Eight, 89 points and only three of them were Halep unforced errors. That is completely remarkable. Yeah. the it, it isn't that dissimilar, though, to a year ago. And so are we overestimating Serena Williams in 2018 stroke 2019 in terms of what she's able to to produce these days obviously she's still a very very good player she's got to a a grand slam final she's got to three in 12 months but has she still got 
do we think that gear to go into uh, that has won a 23 Grand Slam titles? We, we don't really know that, do we? I think the bigger question is, has she got it when it matters the most? Has she got it in the finals when the pressure is most on? And it is unimaginable pressure. It is pressure of a different order of magnitude to what mere mortals can probably even conceive of Um, and there were a lot of similarities to last year's final and even more than I was expecting Um, and Serena's movement did look exposed in the way that Kerber exposed it last year and what I what I don't have the expertise to determine is how much that is down to nerves I've never felt nerves like that I've certainly never felt them during a tennis match because there's very rarely much on the line when I play (laughs) tennis Um, so how much was that poor movement down to her not quite being in the right shape she needs to be and how much is it down to just being literally, quite literally at times paralysed by nerves a lot of experts that I've heard I was with Conchita Martinez and Virginia Wade on on Eurosport today and and they said they thought it was mostly down to nerves, mostly down to nerves. They could certainly sympathise with that feeling of paralysis. However, that's not going to get any better. Next time, if there is a next time, she's in a Grand Slam final, aiming for number 24, presumably she's going to feel the same, if not more. So she has to find a way to overcome it because she kept doing some pretty dramatic breathing on the court to which just told everybody in the stadium that she was struggling to settle down to control her nerves to play the sort of tennis she wanted to without without panicking frankly because it must be so easy to to end up in that situation if you you if you come out a little cold and your opponent comes out like Simona Halep came out today hitting winners all over the place and it's for love in the first set in a best of three set match and we'll get on to that a little bit later but you you find yourself in such a, a race against time to turn this thing around and and I do feel that there is a danger of this becoming a recurring theme for her in Grand Slam finals from here. She's, it's, it's not of the magnitude of Amelie Maresma playing at her home slam or, or, or Sam Stosa in that regard because obviously she's won 23 slams. She knows exactly what she's doing. But the recent experience is a pretty unpleasant one for her in, in major finals. She was panicking, wasn't she? And it was amazing how early she was panicking. Um, and she didn't even resort to the bun. That's how bad it was. It was like she didn't want to taint the bun. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to win this, so there's no point in me deploying the bun. I bet and, she was in a fog today, you know, and she was just trying to find her way out of, a, out of the fog. Yeah, but usually the business bun is the way out of the fog, David. That's <laughs> the point didn't of even it. Have the, it the, couldn't see through the fog to do the bun. And it was all going too quickly. There was no opportunity to stop and take a break it's almost as though she needed to go off court after the first set or do something to snap Halep out of her rhythm who just wasn't missing at all but that kind of presence of mind wasn't there for Serena I mean what now I think about it why didn't she do something like that you know if you're if you're trying to change the rhythm of a match you have to do something drastic and she didn't um and the comparisons to last year I think are quite right in terms of the the matchup, you know, Halep's similar to Kerber. I think we spoke about this maybe yesterday in that she's got that counter-punching style and her movement's so good and she can extract errors out of Serena. But the one difference from this year's run is Serena 
had found a high level during this tournament where she didn't really last year. She, she got to the final barely getting out of second or third gear. Against risk, she was really pushed and she really had to find her best. So that makes me think that it isn't necessarily a level problem. Her level is there, but it's something happens to her in these grandstand finals now. And as well, you said, so the, the nerves, the history on the line, it's almost as though it's it's within reach, but she just can't grasp it. And it it not doesn't paralyze her in the finals, but it really negates all her strength. And towards the end, she was missing big. She, mm. Her backhands, it was all, it was a, not that dissimilar to the way Joe Conta played the other day. Suddenly, shots she just doesn't miss into the net or a, a long were, were missing like and that. She was definitely underpowered on her serve from the start, which has to be down to nerves, doesn't it? And, and she, I think she only hit two aces today. She'd hit 45 for the tournament coming in. And you, can, you know, so much of Serena's game is built around her serve. You can imagine her sort of staring down the other end of the court and looking at this woman that is incapable of losing a rally and thinking, Blumenek, I'm not even getting mm. three points on my serve. What, what can I possibly do? And the serve is the one shot you can control. So if nerves are going to affect you it's you it would logically it would make sense that it might affect your serve as well because you're you're not able to control it in the same way you normally would but you know my main one of my main takeaways from this tournament is that Serena does need to play more and she said that yeah. in her press conference she she does need the matches but equally part of me thinks well is that going to help her in the final because you can't replicate that situation of going for 24 in Montreal, in Cincinnati, you know, it's... But it is a heck of a challenge to go from zero to 100, which is what she managed to do to get to this final. Sure. But I do feel that... Because the other thing is, if she did play some other events, maybe she might get to some smaller finals, mm. Cincinnati final or a Montreal final, and win one, you know, which she hasn't been... She hasn't won for a long yeah. time anywhere. So she hasn't won since her comeback. She hasn't won since no. the Australian Open 2017. So that would that would do do us some good, I would think. And I think, in a way, I was actually reminded of Nadal's press conference after the Australian Open final this year, when he said, "I didn't have the level in me to go toe to toe with Djokovic, sort of the defence that I needed." And it almost felt like Serena didn't have enough matches where she was really having to play her best you know like she had that one against risk but she didn't have them in in the in the bank you know she couldn't she hadn't done all the groundwork Could she have done with a tougher draw maybe possibly but i think what it does does say is serena can't just rock up and win a slam the tour's too strong the field's yeah. too strong now it has moved closer in that way i mean halep in by contrast to her, particularly to Serena, but also to her own semi-final body language, although she played really well against Vasilina, this time she just looked like she was on this massive great big water slide and she was just <laughs> going, wee! And there was never an uphill bit. She was just flying down it and she was full of smiles. I have never thought of Simona Halep as somebody with a great poker face before. Far, far from it. But she said after that match in her on-court interview that she was ill before the match she was so nervous and I thought blimey <laughs> you did not look it for the last 56 minutes wow wasn't that a fantastic on court speech and interview she is so lovely to, to, to listen to and it's not it's not all just sort of coated on charm it's it, there's none of that it's not 
there's no PR there at all. She just gives you herself. Uh, I don't know her very well. I've interviewed her a couple of times, but my sense is... You kept her waiting last week. You kept the Wimbledon <laughs> champion waiting, David. Yeah, well, she, you know, I'm worth it. Um, <laughs> she, she just looks like somebody who... You, we could sit here with us on our green picnic table. She'd love it. There is one extra seat, actually, Simone. Right? And no, an extra beer. I, I appreciate that you're currently speaking to the world's media, such as ESPN and, and BBC, but, you know, we've got a beer. Did we not put in a request? No, we've got... Champions f- usually say yes to everything. We've got a fourth beer here. <laughs> Chance are Maybe on. we should make that a thing. <laughs> we put in a Champions press conference uh, request, and let's see if it happens. Yeah. Anyway, uh, th- I mean, just to let you know, listeners, if you've, you haven't seen that process, there's a screen that lists all their interviews and typically it's about 15 to 20 long I mean that's a lot of interviews (laughs) saying the same thing I remember when Serena won here in I'm going to say 2012 did she win 2012 no 2013 no 2013 was Bartley it was Bartley so I'm going to say 20 either uh, I'm going to say 2012 um, and I was designated to do her post-match interview and it took a long time because um, we were at the end of the queue and she took her time anyway, fair enough. One question, Matt, one question. I waited for, I think, <laughs> about three and a half hours uh, for my one question, probably about a 20-second answer from Serena. <laughs> I mean, it made it to her. I'm sure it was worthwhile. It's just about the, the gold dust, isn't it, of having the champion on the coverage. But at yeah. the time, it felt completely soul-destroying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she, I mean, she... Yeah, she was. It reminded me a little of when Angelique Kerber won her first Australian Open. This just look of delirium on her face, just giddy with it all, and and the, the lovely lines that she said about her mum, saying oh. that she needed to needed to win Wimbledon. Virginia one day. Wade was weeping next to me. I was slightly <laughs> concerned about the fact that we had to go on air momentarily because, in fact, Virginia said she cr- cries at all Wimbledon finals. <laughs> she said Wimbledon makes me cry, but yeah, she was. She was really tearing up at that, and the tribute to Darren Cahill was pretty lovely as well. And and as we were just discussing before before we hit record, we're all wary of giving too much credit to to coaches, particularly in the women's game. But I mean, I do think in this case it's it's valid, especially as Hallett herself is doing it. She said, she said, "You made me a better person yeah. on the court." Mm. He's had an enormous he, impact, hasn't he? He managed to sit... That crossroads, we were talking about it just, just earlier, That the crossroads when when he basically walked out after Miami, that match against Joe Conta when she was... A, I think she was probably a set and a break-up. She ended up losing, but it was after the second set had gone awry and Contra had levelled. And Halep basically decided in her own mind she wasn't going to win and, and the world was against her and she was just, you know, sarcastic about everything. And... Cahill was sitting there just trying to be ultra jolly and upbeat and stress all the positives and all the things that might make her think that she could still win and she just wasn't really having it and and I think he he at the end of that he just thought well okay if you don't, if you don't want to hear what I've got to say let's let's call it a day and and he he he, he stopped working with her for a while and um, and she had to reevaluate and come back to him and basically convince him that she had she changed her view if you love someone set them free yeah and it certainly worked didn't it and I think just on how happy Hallett was today I remember thinking when she won the French Open last year that 
the overwhelming emotion was relief to finally get that first slam and today it was happiness and in that in that way it reminded me of Andy Murray after winning his second Wimbledon as Absolutely. opposed to his first one he's spoken a lot about that hasn't he how he was able to enjoy that much more than the first one because that was all about relief and finally winning Wimbledon and, and they, they've used the same sports psychologist haven't they yeah Alexis yes a woman mm. by the way uh, Catherine you mentioned Virginia Wade somebody sent to me today on Twitter Peter Biles I think it is, his name is uh, on the spelling sent me a, a daily telegraph clipping from Thursday June the 30th 1977 a piece by Lance Tingay um, which is headlined Miss Wade scales new heights but Miss Barker flops so cruel, isn't it, as a headline? I'd love to think headlines have moved on since yes. 1977, but recent evidence suggests not. Uh, <laughs> this one. Uh, events in the Centenary Championships yesterday turned topsy-turvy. <laughs> when the Queen visits the meeting tomorrow, she will see Virginia Wade playing Betis, Betty Stover in the singles final and not the expected confrontation between Chris Evans and Sue Barker. The Queen doesn't like tennis, does she? No, no she prefers that horses. Was, yeah. That was the only time she, She's she really went. She's not into it. She is the only time Couldn't she went. Couldn't even turn up for Andy Murray. Mm. Uh, uh, by the way uh, I had also had an email you can email us by the way tennispodcast.net we've got a contact form on there which uh, Liz Tucker has done and she she did say uh, much much though I enjoy the tennis podcast disappointed that everyone Uh-oh. was everyone was not predicting us uh, not only predicting a Serena win but also wanted her to win I don't think we wanted her to win I think I think we kind of wanted to see this record at some point go um, for various reasons I mean I think I said I wanted both I wanted both right. My mum asked me on WhatsApp today and I said, I, I want I want both. I, I do want Serena to get 24. Mm. But that doesn't mean in any specific match I'm yes. rooting for her to win. Simona Halep's macro and micro mm. desires. Sem- Simona Halep's semi-final press conference, if you haven't seen it, is well worth viewing. She really comes across as one of the most charming players on tour and is very funny too. That's Liz Tucker. I- I'd agree with that. She seems great. She also said, I'd like to thank my country, which was one of the most charming things <laughs> oh. I've ever heard. Yeah, it's lovely. It was but, wonderful. But, I mean, how extraordinary must it be for her to play her best ever match in a Grand Slam final. I mean, people were comparing it to the Petra Kvitova final where she just thrashed Bouchard here about five years ago, was it? And I agree, it was it was similar in the way that it was the perfect example of their games. You know, Kvitova in that final was hitting winners all over the place and there was absolutely no living with her. Halep wasn't exactly doing that today, although she was hitting winners, but she was doing everything that makes her such a good player perfectly moving across the court like one of the best movers tennis has ever seen hitting winners turning defense into attack on the run i don't know how she does it but the winners she hits from seemingly impossible positions were extraordinary just to speak beyond my brief on the technicalities front for a moment and this again is borrowed from virginia and from conchita they thought that Serena didn't hit behind Simona Halep enough. They thought that was a real tactical Interesting. mistake. They didn't. She didn't try and wrong foot her enough. Halep always seemed mm. to be balanced. Mm. Always seemed to be anticipating. And it is in the tough right to direction. get her off balance, isn't it? Um, particularly today. Interesting point. Also, you mentioned that Kvitova win. That was the last time that I was here at Wimbledon, thinking, I really wish they were going five. 
best of five here and and again today i, I felt the same who, it's just who here wouldn't have wanted that to be best of five i mean i, th- I think the, there's, there is a, a slight knee-jerk reaction from people to hear that on the day of the final and think oh stop taking things away from the winner you know they've done they've done their job which they have i, I mean still think hallett would have won in five i, I just would I just... love to not see a player go fall of down albeit with brilliant play from the opponent but clearly from uh, an issue down the other end of either nerves or whatever it might be, lack of feel, there is so little time to find your feet. Serena Williams felt like she was in quicksand today. And it, it, I mean, it was, it was sort of mind blowing the 56 minutes of it. I really feel overwhelmed by the whole experience, but I'd have loved more of it. I know that when I see my mother on Monday, she'll, she'll, she'll say to me, Oh, I really enjoyed Wimbledon. Was a shame though that we didn't get a longer women's match, wasn't it? You know, and, and I think we have had a lot of very good women's finals, best of three, and they've felt, you know, perfectly fine. Like we've been very happy with, like the Australian Open final this year was, you know, no one, you know, everyone would have thought it would have been nice to see two more sets, but no one was disappointed by the fact that we had three such brilliant sets. But I think it's it's almost a particular a particular particularity to Wimbledon at the moment we've had I think it's the last seven women's finals at Wimbledon have been straight sets and the last nine semi-finals in the women's have been straight sets something seems to happen at the end of Wimbledon and it it does leave leaves you wanting more I just think it's one of those things if you took a step away from it and and looked I mean it's ludicrous it's ludicrous that that there is this disparity in between what men play and what women play I, I don't think it's just I th- I, we've we've got the solution to it it's just people need to listen to <laughs> us but I think it's one of those things like I think it was only in might even have been the 80s 70s or 80s that women started running the full marathon distance and obviously now it seems ludicrous that they ever didn't you'd never mm. you'd never no one's saying that was a bad idea why did we ever let women run 26.2 miles it's like smoky in cinemas it seems ludicrous that it ever happened and as soon as people listen to us and make the necessary adjustments <laughs> it will it will in a split second everyone will go all oh, right why was it ever like that yeah you know it's it's crazy mm. interesting interesting one um so uh well done Simona Halep the champion at Wimbledon I think it's also another really nice storyline is the fact that she doesn't just sit on that one grand slam as wonderful as it was last year at the French Open I think there were were concerns that maybe she might not have the necessary hunger we've talked about it with Mary uh, about how happy she has been and how relaxed she is but whether that can be a a downside as well and this just puts that to bed really that, that Simona Halep is a multiple Grand Slam champion and, and she may well not be stopping there. And they were saying, Chris Everett was saying, she's pretty much guaranteed Hall of Fame now. I know we don't maybe get the Hall of Fame, but it is, you know, it's a bit of a thing, Apparently isn't it? it's and, a big deal. And, yeah. you know, world number one, two slams, you're in. So world number one, one slam, she wasn't necessarily I, in. I believe there's a criteria now where oh. it's, uh, yeah, multiple slams. Okay. Don't but what we... if you have world number one as well? No. Oh, crikey. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Andy Roddick's in. I know, but they've ch- it's changed. Did they change it just after <laughs> Andy Roddick? I've, I don't know. Americans, any chance you could let us know at Tennis Podcast what goes on with the Hall of Fame? Uh, right. 
none of us got our prediction right with the newsletter. But uh, I'd like to just give an honourable mention to not on this podcast, Tim Henman, who's the only person I've heard around these parts who apparently predicted Hallett would win. Oh, well on air last night, and apparently there was quite quite a dispute between he and John McEnroe. Excellent. Like a on dispute. About it, yeah. Splendid. Um, okay. Well, incidentally, get on the newsletter if you want. We check out the link is in the show notes on your phone at the moment. If you're listening on your phone, just just you know scroll down and you'll be able to click and sign up to our newsletter. We've only got one more left for Wimbledon, um, so that's going to have our men's singles final prediction in it. It'll have Matt stats. Yeah, we get there. a lot of requests for Matt stats and oh, yeah. folks. They're in the newsletter. Yeah, they are. And <laughs> I mean, they're everywhere. Memory, they are specifically in the newsletter. Memory lane which is it which uh, shows a uh, gives you a podcast link from the past from this tournament when we were oh, talking about we didn't do whatever went on years ago Catherine never listens to them I, I listen to them every single day uh, and love it hey so, listen to some stuff from six years ago when we were all more rubbish yeah <laughs> So you see, Catherine's into it. So, you know, there's the selling point. We've sold it to you. Uh, so sign up. And uh, if you stay on it as well, then we'll be doing daily ones at the US Open uh, newsletters. We'll do them weekly throughout the rest of the year, just like the podcast, basically. Um, and Matt and I had a, a big sit down together to plan the rest of the year. We've got loads of exciting stuff coming. Catherine wasn't in, in it because she was busy being clever on television um but you know we'll fill you in later Catherine, along with the listeners uh, but lots of exciting Great. stuff coming your way yes yes i'm going to drink some in halleck's beer that's right she's not coming is she it's the simona pint uh, and it's going Catherine whitaker's way it appears she's not going to share that is she right no i mean to be, fair, drink up, to be fair we still have beer left yes Crikey, you do you've knocked that one back haven't you uh, anyway uh right so what else has happened today? We currently have the men's doubles final on, and it appears that uh, Nicola Mahou has recovered from getting a ball, and this was pretty scary at the time, a ball smack in the face. Uh, and awful. Right in the corner of his eye. I think it didn't quite get him full in the eye, because I don't think he'd be on the court right now. Uh, but they're set up, actually, in five all in the second. As we come to you, you'll be able to check the result of that. That's um, very emotional about that match. Oh, yeah? Why? Do you think Ebert is watching? I hope he's not. I've, I am emotional about the breakup of Maru and Ebert and. Is it not Ebert's fault? Yes. Yeah, but it's but all just. It's all sad. You just want it to be okay. They were. And it's not okay. They were the absolute dream partnership in Australia. They've just won the career Grand Slam, and now there's a little bit of tension some, about some it. Mm. Needle. Agro, <laughs> yeah, but not, and, but not in a good way and again, on this occasion. I know occasion. I keep bringing up the Olympics, but surely they're thinking. Well, that was that was always play the Olympics. And that was together. what they said when they decided that they wouldn't be playing together for the rest of this year because Ebert wanted to focus on his singles. Somewhat ironically, <laughs> um, the the thought process was okay, but we'll we'll get back together next year and play the Olympics. Do you think Ebert's ruined that with? with two rounds worth of men's doubles with Andy Murray? I hope not, but he did say that Mahu hadn't taken it particularly well. Well, fair enough, I see. Mm. Just uh, want them to be friends. Well, you know, if you do go around dumping people, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> he seems lovely, Ebert, but, you know. Anyway, uh, we'll see what happens with the rest of that one. Uh, we've had... Uh, various other results today Dylan Olcott has won the quad wheelchair singles beating Andy Lapthorne I think that makes it he's won the Grand Slam 
he's won an awful lot. Every time I see him, he seems to be on the telly accepting a trophy. He had a congratulatory message from Ash Barty nice. uh, on Twitter, which I'm just looking at, which I think referenced a, uh, a slam. Stand by. Splendid. Uh, Anniek van Koot of Netherlands beat her compatriot, and I'm going to see if I can say this one right, uh, Dida de Groot. Uh, Koot beat Groot. 7-5 <laughs> in the third. And... Uh, what yeah, he's, do, he's done that. They're calling it the Dylan Slam. He holds all Grand Slam singles titles currently. Right. D- D- Dylan Alcott. And he um, he has a broadcasting role uh, with Channel 9 yeah. in Australia. He's very good at it. Girls, clever, clever bloke. Girls singles has been won by Daria Snigger of mm. Ukraine. I love I love when I sort Ooh, of... She, well, last time I looked, she was setting a breakdown. Oh. To the American 10th seed, whose name I she can't wasn't remember. a set down because she won six four six four. Right, but I she just might misread have been a the score. Misread the score, folks. Yeah, that's uh, what happened. Alexa Knoll was the runner-up. Who? Correct. I watched a bit of that. <laughs> She's fun. She slices forehands off second serves. My oh, kind yeah. of person. Yeah, like Monica Nicolescu. And over yeah, here. Yeah, all sorts of fun I'm going on you, in that match. Variety is back in fashion, isn't mm. it? David Law is back in fashion. Yeah, <laughs> I've only been out of fashion for about thirty years. <laughs> Fantastic. It is. It's, it really is a thing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, you just have to think of some of the players who've made an impact at yeah. this tournament and made an impact in Paris, and they're all. Well, so many of them are brimming with variety. Slice, drop shots, wanting to come forward. It's great. It's brilliant. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. 
Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Roger Federer against Novak Djokovic in the gentlemen's singles final. The men's singles <laughs> I stubbornly final. refuse to say ladies on Well, so do today. I, actually. I, I've done that throughout the week. It's, um, it's, it is an absurdity. All right, it is. Okay, moving on. Uh, Djokovic <laughs> against Federer in the blokes' final tomorrow. Um, seeds one against two. Uh, it's their 48th meeting. It is 25-22 to Novak Djokovic. It is the eight-time champion against the four-time champion and there are five Grand Slam singles titles between them overall, 20 for Federer, 15 for Djokovic. What next? What's the most... I mean, Matt, I I, I actually read through the media notes for the final about an hour ago, and there's so many stats, I really don't know where to start. I mean, and they're all good stats too, because, you know, they've got so much in their career, so much in their rivalry. What do you consider to be the the, the biggest, most important number there that, that really draws your eye? I, I am struggling to look beyond the fact that Federer's not beaten Djokovic at a slam since 2012, and they've they've played quite a lot in that time. They had those that the Wimbledon final of 2014, the Wimbledon final of 2015, the U.S. Open final of 2015, and the Australian Open final of 2016. And I think they were all four or five sets. They were all close, but in all of them, I was left with the feeling that Federer cannot beat this guy over five sets. He has to sustain a level which he can't for that amount of time. Um, However, what he did against Nadal yesterday, taking, taking a set off, basically, might be a decent approach for him. I think if he sees it as... I don't need to sustain a high level over all the five sets. I just need to win three sets playing my best. Is that easier in his mind? Is that something that he is more achievable? It, it sounds more achievable to me. It does, yeah. So do you think he's going to win the first set and then do a whole set full of sabres? <laughs> well, I, c- I could imagine him going absolutely foot to the floor in the first set and yeah. trying to just... Because, because Djokovic has been vulnerable in first sets, mm. Um, mm. It, it seemed, and... Just take it to him, win it, then have a spurt at the start of the second if he can. Maybe he can get two sets to love up, but a bit like the one with Nadal yesterday, yeah, if it doesn't go, happen. If it doesn't pan out, have tank, a rest. Retreat. Tank for a set. Um, sabre, sabre, sabre. Yeah, and then, yeah, I, I could imagine that as a strategy. That, that, and and I, I am interested to see if he actually does that, having it been highlighted, not only by us, I'm sure, but whether everybody else is all right with that. I mean, personally, I'm absolutely fine with it because it's a best of five set match. And if you think tactically you are going to win by doing that, go for your life. But Rod, Nick Kyrgios got hammered for it in some quarters the other week. I know he's got a lot more previous and all the rest of it, but I was fine with that too. So... Yeah, do what you can to win the match. That was what Courtney was saying yesterday, and I think that's I think that's the message. I think equally, Federer gets away with it a bit more because it's not it's not immediately obvious that he's tanking. Whereas 
curiosity kind of is. Yeah. Um, I had a good chat with Nick, with uh, Richard Krychek earlier on BBC Radio, oh. 1996 champion here. Catherine's just doing the name dropping sign here, the universal uh, drop and then splash of the name into her beer. I know. I know I've dropped names today, but they were being paid to talk to me. I do think there's a distinction between, oh, yeah, just, you know. Oh, right. Richard Crichet just sidled up to me. Early. No, it didn't really happen like that. It's, it was sort of, he was sitting down and I tapped him on the shoulder <laughs> and I said, could I have two minutes of your time, please? And he said, no, because I've got to go and do something else. <laughs> and I said, oh, please. And he goes, oh, all right then. Uh, anyway, I, I, what's I was... It, what's he here doing? Him, I think, I don't know. He was talking to TV and all that sort of stuff. Right. I mean, looking just absurdly healthy. and. Hasn't and Says he. He's know, in the Stefan Edberg category of what are you on? So irritating. Yeah. Um, you know, he's actually he's not much younger than me, and and he looks about two decades <laughs> younger, uh, and, and and better looking and all the rest of it. Anyway, he um, he he was in the commentary box with us when we did the two back-to-back finals on BBC Radio, uh, of Federer against Djokovic, and I, I was keen to to get his view on whether he thought anything was different this time um, because I know that in those matches he, and, and he, he did confirm this he believes that Djokovic's best level is too much for Federer whenever they meet he just thinks he, he's got he's kind of his kryptonite mm. and he can take everything that, that Federer's got to chuck and repel it every single time if he's absolutely on his game he doesn't see him at his best right now and that may change. That may change on Sunday. But he he feels that he's not quite there, um, and that there is a. That in his view, Federer has got a better chance ahead of this final than he had ahead of those other two finals. I I very much agree with that. I, I think it's a better chance. I think I'm still going to pick Djokovic, but I do think it's he, without question. Djokovic hasn't been at his best this championships. He's found he's found. An eight and a half out of ten when he's needed it, mm. um, but he's had mental wonders. Um, he's looked irritable, although actually, looking in the right context, being irritable works for for Novak Djokovic, and I really think it could work for him on Sunday. I think there's there is a tipping point in terms of cr- crowd impartiality or partiality. I think. You know, certain amount of respectful support for Federer works in Federer's favour. If it tips over a certain point, I think it goes in Djokovic's favour, and he just sticks two fingers up to the lot of them and finds that extra gear. But uh, I'm—I was really persuaded by the point that Courtney made last night about pretty much everything I've just said being largely irrelevant. <laughs> Um, and the fact that Djokovic doesn't use unnecessary gears, the fact that he's looked at between a, a six to an eight and a half out of ten throughout the tournament is is irrelevant. Doesn't mean he's hasn't got a ten for Federer tomorrow. Mm, yeah, I think if he if he comes out with his absolute one hundred percent determination to win no matter what, I, I think he will drag and find that performance that he's been lacking over the four, over two weeks. But equally, I do think... I mean, look, Federer has obviously done some deep dive thinking, or Lubacic as well, presumably, about the tactics for these matches. He'd done it against Nadal. Maybe he'd been listening to you, David. Everything that you've just said about 
you know, just Djokovic dragging him down and his best level being... Federer knows all that. So he's going to have to... He knows all the stats that we've just come out with, not having beaten him in a slam since 2012. So he is going to come out with something different tomorrow. He is. And he hasn't... Federer hasn't played Djokovic that much. I think only once. I think it was that Cincinnati final where Federer put in a terrible performance last year. But he hasn't played him that much since the start of 2017 when the, the bigger racket the, back from the injury mm. going for the backhand and in particular the, the new backhand and I think it's a more effective weapon for him against Nadal because of the way Nadal's forehand kind of sits up into it now into the strike zone but I think it's an extra way that he can hurt Djokovic which he didn't have in 2014 2015 and you know 2014 to 2016 Djokovic was absolute peak Djokovic he was in his late 20s and he was beating everyone and it felt unfortunate for Federer that he kept having to come up against Djokovic in his peak now I agree I've not been so convinced by Djokovic's level this tournament and can he can he just find it for the final is that this is a similar thing to what we've been saying about Serena you know can you just turn it on for the final if you haven't had it in the tournament, I suppose he has made a bit of a habit of doing that. You get longer, of course, because you get that best of five, so he mm. can yeah. play his way in. And mm. That is that it's really significant. is significant. If it was best of three tomorrow, yeah, Federer, Federer probably. But yeah, the best of five is such a hurdle. As you say, seven years since Federer has beaten the guy at a Slam. I, I commentated on that match. That and was a four-set match. Never beaten them back to back. Never he's, beaten he, the two of them in the same set. Nadal and Djokovic. That is this. All the stats say Djokovic. Mm. Yeah, the only man that's beaten uh, Djokovic and Nadal back-to-back is Stan Wawrinka at the Australian Open in 2014. Diesel. One person. But that wasn't back-to-back. Oh, OK. No, there was, was a Nishikori. Of course. No, it was no. a Burdick. Burdick oh. in the semis. <laughs> right. But... The slightly lesser hurdle so of a yeah, Burdick. I mean, even, even more statistical evidence in Djokovic's favour. Yeah, but I... I think that I'm not going to tell you the number of sets because that's going to go in the newsletter and I need to think about it but I did say at the start of the tournament that Federer would win I'll stay with that Um, and uh, yeah I think we're going to be looking at 21 slams but well we'll see that would be so monumental Mm. so monumental in the context of of all of it of everything of of the race the slam race. Oh, I thought you meant the the the, the, <laughs> the race to the London. Race, no. the, Nadal, Nadal's refreshing, refreshing <laughs> the computer. Where am I? But I am first in the race, so <laughs> everything else is irrelevant. <laughs> and I think he actually is first in the race, isn't he? Is he? Yeah, I think so. He's the only one that's already qualified. Yeah. So yes. Nadal doesn't give two hoots which, about what which, happens tomorrow because he's which, first in the race. As as uh, as. I think it was Ricky Diamond said on Twitter, Nadal's qualified for the ATP finals, which is great news for whoever finishes ninth in the race. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so mean. <laughs> oh, dear. Who's going to finish ninth in the race? Oh, dear, Catherine. I don't know. But, um, who's current? Chorich, someone like that? Yeah. I don't know who is in ninth now. <laughs> got Fanini? Uh, we'll see. Fit, well, I'll tell you what, with it moving to Italy, everyone could do with Fanini qualifying for his it's a few years year off championships. Yet, though, isn't it? A couple of years off. Yeah, but he can start that? now and, okay. you know. 
All right. Stake uh, his territory. Anybody else got any Federer against Djokovic Wimbledon final thoughts? Stefano Sitsipas definitely doesn't. His Twitter activity has been, even by his standards, <laughs> just mind-blowingly bonkers. <laughs> what, what's he done? Today he just said, without any context at all, I've switched to Android. <laughs> well, just a public service in, in, in announcement there from yeah. Stefano Sitsipas. Thank it's, you, Steph. And yesterday he tweeted a, a link to an article about the latest round of Tesla testing on their driverless cars right that could I mean, talk be. about operating your own universe i think he needs his own boat <laughs> he yeah he's on the boat isn't he no, well, he's, on, actually, his own he's boat. on his own boat mm, yeah your dad's i think he'd be great crew just not as part of a wider team is your dad going to get on his boat that's the other question i'm <laughs> not I've sure sits a pass wants anyone else on his boat he's got no room for anybody has he he just wants to set sail with his android phone and and be lost in his own thoughts. Thinking yeah. about Elon Musk. Sounds awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, right then. I think that just about does it for today and another edition of the Tennis Podcast. Thank you all for listening and for all your lovely messages. It really is so so nice. Yeah, uh, some of the things you've all been saying that you, that you appreciate uh, the show. Um, and uh, well, <laughs> we're not stopping, so you better enjoy it uh, because they're coming your way thick and fast, including tomorrow after the, uh, the men's singles final. Matt, Catherine and myself will be here uh, on the tennis podcast do tell some people tell some more people you've already been telling some tell more uh, here and <laughs> we're executive produce there's no one left to tell David <laughs> I wonder why our numbers are so massive <laughs> suddenly loads of people are listening because all of you are telling your friends as requested um, we are executive produced by tennisballs.com uh, with our mascot Rio with a Y brought to you in association with the Telegraph and we will be back after the men's singles final Djokovic against Nadal two o'clock tomorrow we're looking forward to it already Djokovic against Federer what did I say? Nadal <laughs> you said Nadal <laughs> and we will be back with another tennis podcast tomorrow it's going to be Djokovic against Federer at two o'clock tomorrow see you then hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 